as we introduced this series last week, I said that we were, we were looking at the seven deadly sins for at least a couple of reasons. And the first is because uh, we still recognize and strongly believe that, that sin is a serious issue. That, that is one of the reasons we're doing this series. Uh, we might live at a time and within a society where sin is of little or no concern, where it has been trivialized, but based on God's word, And in light of what we see around us, all the evidence, we realize that actually sin is incredibly destructive. It is a universal virus. All have sinned. And it's also potentially lethal. The payout is is death, according to God's word. And one of the most important reasons why we take sin so seriously is ultimately because it has negatively impacted our relationship with our Creator. Your sins have separated you from God. They have hidden his face from you. So we believe sin is not a trivial issue. It is the dark enemy of the soul. And therefore we want to expose that and we want to talk about that as part of this series. The second reason we have embarked upon this is because we believe it is an issue of spiritual formation. It is about character development. It is about discipleship. For those who are Christians, and and I'm going to guess that is probably the majority of people in here this evening. But we have received this free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord to finish the rest of uh, that verse from Romans. And so because of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection and our belief in him and our response to those things, we have been healed. We have been forgiven. And the relationship that we were created to enjoy with our creator has been re-established. But sin has not been completely extinguished from our lives. For those who are Christians, sin still seduces. We were thinking a little of this if you were here this morning. It still tempts. We can still choose to follow the desires of the sinful nature as a Christian. And tonight, and therefore, we're we're dealing with sin, we're confronting it, we're being honest about it, we're uh, confessing it as an ongoing Christian discipleship issue. And so a study of the seven deadly sins is a catalyst for spiritual growth if it is done within the context of spiritual formation. So the two reasons we're doing this, we still believe sin's a serious issue. We still believe this is an issue of spiritual formation. And tonight we are starting with the sin of pride. And it is interesting how it appears first on most of the lists, not necessarily all. Actually, some of the lists of the seven deadly sins don't have pride on them at all because some believe that it underpins each of them. Thomas Aquinas was in no doubt that pride is, in fact, the beginning of all sin. And whenever you consider the fall of Lucifer from heaven, you kind of can see where he's coming from. Because it was pride that brought Lucifer, one of the highest ranking angels, down. It was pride that turned him into a Satan, the devil. Isaiah 14 reads like this. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
You said in your heart, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. And that little phrase that just keeps repeating time and time again, I will. I will. Culminating in that that shocking comment, I will make myself the most high. And so according to many, including the likes of Augustine Pride, was the very thing that drew Lucifer away from God in the first place. Pride says the dictionary, and we've, we've teased out some of these words, it's this undue sense of one's own superiority. Pride is an arrogant self-worship. It's the sin of exalting oneself and placing one's interests above the interests of everyone else or anyone else. And the synonyms for pride are not too attractive either. Vanity, conceit, arrogance, self-glorification, know-it-all. So pride is an attitude that focuses on due attention on the self where so much of everything becomes about me. Max Licato writes this, The self-centered see everything through self. Their motto, it's all about me. The flight schedule, the traffic, the dress styles, the worship styles, the weather, the work. Everything is filtered through the mini-me in the eye. And therefore, as we all know, and as we heard in the drama pride is nauseating and I'm sure I've used this quote before but pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the person who has it and at its root pride is the desire to just look down on people or at the very least to feel that you're slightly better than the next person and you're slightly better well because say for example of your achievements your education your kid's success, your choices, the number of Facebook friends you have, whatever. And Jesus addressed this, not necessarily the Facebook issue, Jesus addressed this whenever, or he maybe did, when he told the story of two men who went up the temple to pray. Listen to Luke. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, says Jesus, that this man, rather than the other, he's the one who went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. See, for the Pharisee, this was all about me. It was to announce to all within earshot just how good he was. As far as God was concerned, totally unacceptable. Pride. 
Another real danger with pride, this sort of overdue or undue overattention and focus on self, is that it actually opens the doors to so many other sins. So, for example, we give in to greed whenever we feel, well, self doesn't have enough. We give in to envy whenever we sense that self is being overshadowed by others. When others are receiving more attention than me, become envious. We give over to anger whenever we feel that self is being offended. And so, as C.S. Lewis once said, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves, pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So it's, it's unattractive. It's dangerous. And it only leads in one direction. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Although I love how the message captures this verse. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the greater the fall. But let's back up for a moment because there can be a bit of a tension here. And a certain amount of confusion. And and some people might be thinking along these lines. Is a certain amount or, or a certain kind of pride not okay? In fact, is it not entirely appropriate at times? Now think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Well, how would you answer someone who said to you, is there not such a thing as good pride. Seen in things or in terms of a healthy self-respect, dignity, satisfaction in the job well done. Are we not meant to take pride in our work? Pride in seeing others succeed? Surely that's, that's good pride. Surely that kind of pride isn't a sin. Plus, just to kind of confuse things a little bit more. Whenever we read or turn to the teaching of Jesus, you find at some level you're supposed to love yourself. And so whenever Jesus was given the great commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So we are meant to love ourselves. So there's a tension here. So how do you strike the balance How do you avoid buying into a culture that promotes an unhealthy and an unbiblical love of self? How do you guard against crossing that line, falling into the trap of embracing the arrogant pride that comes before a destruction? The arrogant pride that is deadly. The arrogant pride that is a sin. How do you avoid going there? Well, That's where this comes in. Virtue of humility. You see, any pride we have is supposed to be accompanied by and tempered with the virtue, the countercultural art of humility. And it's that attitude, that biblical value that keeps us grounded, that keeps us on the straight and narrow, so to speak. See, we're called to 
worship and exalt God. Primary calling. Those familiar catechism. Man's chief end to glorify God. That's our primary calling. And yet we tend to veer towards exalting and worshipping ourselves. And the sinfulness of pride kicks in whenever we get this all out of sync. Whenever our love gets misdirected. And that's really what pride, and in fact that's what sin is. It's misdirected love. The love that God deserves gets turned inward. And the love of self gets out of control, gets out of hand, gets out of balance. And then you fall victim to that form of arrogant pride. And that's the thing that happened time and time again in Scripture. Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree of knowledge. Why? Because they wanted to elevate themselves to God's level. We've already mentioned Lucifer, his desire to compete with God. The Tower of Babel, constructed to reach up to heaven so that people could be on the same level, same power with God. And okay, we're not eating from trees of knowledge or building towers to heaven, but we can still be guilty of building altars to ourselves and to our own greatness. And in a society like ours, where God just gets increasingly pushed to the margins, our love and our worship and our devotion gets redirected to something or someone else, but often it ends up being redirected almost entirely to self. And pride, the wrong kind, beds down. And the Bible teaches that our love and our lives and our worship were meant for something bigger and something greater than ourselves. Worship should be for God and God alone. And our love for him was meant to take up all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind. And then we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. But in that commandment, we do come at the end, so to speak. And this lays down one of those really important and significant challenges of the Christian faith and all what it means to follow Jesus, that we are to put God and God's people before ourselves. And if we're really honest, that is so hard to do. So hard to do in practice. And it requires humility. But it's so much easier to be proud than humble. I was reading this week uh, about how way back in 1684, the Reverend William Master, a Gloucestershire vicar, was wondering how he might leave his mark on his old University of Oxford. And so he bequeathed a sum of money to ensure that every subsequent year two sermons would be preached at Oxford. One on pride, one on humility. And apparently his wish is still observed to this day. You see, there is a sense that dealing with this deadly sin is a lifetime endeavor. I'm not sure any of us ever could or ever will reach a place of saying, listen, I'm done with pride. It's sorted. It, It won't be an issue ever again. I don't need another sermon on it. Because the reality is it's a constant temptation. As, as one writer writes, pride is the dandelion of the soul. I love this. Its roots go deep. Only a little needs to be left behind and it can sprout again. And that's so true. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks. It flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. It feeds on goodness. And pride is deadly but how we tackle it how do we tackle it well it is via the pursuit and the commitment to humility again Augustine said this 
For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second thing, and humility is the third thing. The Apostle Paul writing to Christians encourages them to do what? Clothe yourselves with humility. In other words, that's a choice you make. I I choose to wear this. I choose to put this on. I choose to clothe myself with humility. Jesus made the point that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice those who humble themselves. That's something I must learn to do. And yet how hard is that to do, to actually humble yourself in a culture that is all about me and is all about a love of self. And as always, Jesus never asks us to do anything he hasn't done. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did what? Who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself, but that humbling for Jesus was extreme. Jesus gave up his very life for others. So the stakes in this are high. So how do we learn this? Because I, I want this series, in a sense, to be as practical as possible. So how do, you, how do you learn this art? What steps can you take? Well, let me give you, and I hope to do this every week with every one of the seven deadly sins, let me give you two classic Christian disciplines that profoundly help. And the first is confession. It's where we cultivate a habit of self-examination before a holy God. Where we're really honest before a holy God who searches our hearts, who knows our hearts. It's where we regularly remind ourselves of our need of forgiveness, that we honestly consider the choices we've made, the words we write, the words we speak, the attitudes we hold, the actions we perform. And we align those with God's word. And we admit where we get it wrong. Now confession doesn't mean wallowing in self-hatred. This constant state of beating yourself up over faults, real or perceived, that's not healthy. Nor is it what is meant by confession. We are meant to have a healthy sense of self-worth, but where it comes from is critical. Where we go to find our self-worth is so vitally important. And where we must go is in the knowledge that we are deeply loved by our Creator. But every once in a while, and maybe on a daily basis, we do need to reflect on where we took the wrong turn. We do need to admit that to ourselves and to God. And this holy habit of confession is one helpful way of avoiding pride because it ensures you do not try to become the center of your world. Confession keeps self in check. Because in confession, you must become or come before a holy God in honesty and recognize who you really are and your need of God. Second discipline is service. It comes from serving others. It comes from having an others-centered orientation rather than a self-centered one. What does Paul write? Again, phenomenally difficult words to work through. 
Consider others better than yourselves. Consider others. Consider every person sitting here this evening better than yourself. Pride keeps me at the center of my world. Pride causes me to become blinkered to your needs. Pride means that when you and I chat, pride causes me to tell you everything about me, who I am, what I do, my issues, my busyness, and it never takes time to listen to you. Humility, on the other hand, cares about your struggles, loves to hear of your successes, identifies with your pain, rejoices in your achievements. William Law wrote these words, Let every day be a day of humility. Condescend to all the weakness and infirmities of your fellow creatures. Cover their frailties. Love their excellence. Encourage their virtues. Relieve their wants. Rejoice in their prosperities. Compassionate their distress. Receive their friendship. Overlook their unkindness. Forgive their malice. Be servants of servants and condescend to the lowliest of offices, to the lowliest of mankind. Every day should be a day of humility. So hard. That's why you've got to clothe yourself. You see, because every single day, none of us would think of leaving the house undressed. And actually, it's something I believe we've got to do on a daily basis. God, help me to clothe myself with humility today because I am about to go out these doors and walk into a culture that just gets me to focus on me. That's all about me. And it's got to be about others. I've got to consider others better than myself. Because if I don't, pride will kick in. And you become so concerned about what others think of you. And I know I've, I've shared this before, it's one, of, it's one of the real struggles I have. I mean, again, honesty time. This is I stand up here, it's a sense of, hey, how, how do people prove me? How do people, how do people listen to this? What do people think about me as they hear me speaking through this? So easy to do. I have to walk away from here. I say, God, please, clothe me with humility. Humility looks up to others rather than down on them. Humility looks out for others rather than right past them. And when we serve and embrace an others-centered orientation, we combat pride head-on. Confession and service. Two disciplines. Two holy habits. Two pathways to humility. I believe the first test of a truly great man is in his humility. Need to finish. Pride, the wrong kind is deadly. It is dangerous. It is unattractive in others. It's destructive in self. But the problem is it's so subtle. And it's so powerful and it needs to be taken so seriously by those who are serious about spiritual formation. For those who are serious about character development. For those who are serious about walking as Christ walked. And as we confront it in our lives... May we, may you, may I constantly pursue the virtue of humility. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would open our eyes now. 
even if it causes us discomfort and pain. So that we can see instances in which we have allowed pride to take root and grow. And as we see pride, I ask that you would oppose it in us. Convict us of the need to completely reject it. Help me to truly humble ourselves in your sight. Show us the changes we need to make in order to turn from pride. And show us the decisions we need to make in order to humbly align ourselves with your will. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.